Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, page 965. As we began last Sunday, um, a series looking through Matthew's Gospel, and it seemed an appropriate time to start on the first Sunday of Advent, and we looked at the genealogy of Jesus last week. And this, the title of this section, uh, borrowing a title from uh, Tim Keller, is The Courage of Christmas. We're going to read from God's Word. Belinda is going to come and read to us from Matthew chapter 1, beginning to read from verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But they had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Belinda read to us the Christmas story from Matthew's point of view. And for Matthew, he focuses quite clearly on Joseph because his point is to show that Jesus is the king of all kings. He is the promised king in the line of David. And so Joseph is on the line of David. And that's why he focuses on Joseph so that he will show how Jesus has the authority that he has as the new king. So there's no manger story, there's no swaddling clothes, there's no shepherds on the hills or the angelic host. Mary does not say a word. For all that, you need to go to look. But we definitely need to hear Matthew's perspective of Jesus this morning. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for four Gospels each one declaring the good news of Jesus, each one with a different insight as to, as to how Jesus impacted their own lives, and therefore that's the angle, the story that they approach their gospel. And so, Lord, we thank you for Matthew's gospel, for where, where he's coming from as a Jewish believer who becomes uh, a worshiper that the Messiah has come in Jesus and all that Jesus means to him. And so, Lord, as we reflect on this gospel, help us, as we've been singing, to give thanks today 
because of Jesus and what he means in our lives. Open your, your word, Lord. Send your spirit that these words may not be new information, but that they may change our hearts as followers of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew begins in, we read verse 13, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And the word for birth is the same word that we read in verse 1 of chapter 1, a record of the genealogy. The, the word genealogy in Greek is the word Genesis. The word birth in verse 18 is the word Genesis. And because um, the word Genesis it could mean uh, different things from a different perspective, we have translated that word in different ways. But if I change the word to the word origin, you can see that what we have read today links us to what we thought about last week. So in Verse 1 of chapter 1, if I use the word origin, a record of the origins of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then Matthew shows the genealogy to show his origins. And then in verse 18, this is how the origin of Jesus Christ came about. So he's told the genealogy. This is where he's come from. Now he's going to show, and this is how he came into our world. So the same word connects these two aspects of it. Remember, they didn't have chapters then. They didn't have verses. And so they were, they were using words to link uh, sections together. But when you think of the word Genesis, the word origins, which is what we're reading there in Greek, the word Genesis, what else you think about? You think about Genesis itself. Uh, the word Genesis comes from the Greek title of the, uh, the Old Testament, not the Hebrew. The Hebrew title takes the first three words in the beginning, so it's the beginnings, is literally in Hebrew. But the Greek translation it takes the word origins that appear through Genesis, because you get the, the different genealogies of Abraham and Seth and Jacob and Abraham and others. And so it takes the word origin. So for, for Greek read, hearers, hearing Matthew's gospel, they wouldn't just connect the genealogy of Jesus with this is his birth, this is his origin, uh, that connection. But also they would go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and, and that whole book. And what did God do in Genesis? He is about making a creation. And so Matthew is saying Jesus is part of a new creation. And the other way you can link that is because in Genesis you get the movement of the Spirit in God's creation. And here you're also getting the movement of the Spirit. Mary was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. So Matthew is saying to Jewish readers, I'm about to tell you about how new creation through Jesus, through this King, the son of David and the son of Abraham is coming into this world. And this new creation demands courage from those who will receive it, who want to be involved in it, particularly Joseph. So this is about courage, about Joseph's courage particularly, particular, particularly this morning. And what kind of courage are we talking about? For Joseph, it was the courage, first of all, to face the world's hostility. Joseph is a young man. He's probably about 18 years old. And he's pledged to be married to a local girl from the village called Mary, who's probably about 15 years old. Husbands were usually about 18 at this time to get married in order to be established financially. The, 
they would have learned their trade from whatever occupation their father was. So from a young age, their father would be showing them how to be a carpenter, how to be uh, a, a, a builder or, or whatever, or in finance or whatever. They would learn their skills from their father, but by the time they're 18, they've learned it sufficiently that they can stand on their own. And so Joseph, probably his father was a carpenter and he's learned his trade and that he also will be a carpenter. And by 18, he's got enough skills that he can, that he can support himself. And betrothal at this time usually happened a year before the marriage. Um, sometimes girls could be betrothed from the age of 12 um, or, or so. And so Mary could have been 13, she could have been 14, but maybe around 15 years old she is. And the, normally the, the betrothal of the, this couple in marriage was arranged by both sets of parents. And the betrothal would have involved um, an exchange of dowry and bride prices that was given to each other. And that was the money that would help them prepare for married life, start preparing an extension to one of the houses that they would live in when they get married a year later. So here's a young couple with their whole life before them. They're setting up, they're preparing for married life. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about, verse 18. His mother, Mary, was pledged, betrothed, to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, before their marriage happened, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Mary's pregnant. She can't hide it. Um, Who did she tell her mother, did her mother start to say, what's happening here? Those who, but she has found to be with child. Her pregnancy is discovered, but she's not married, but only engaged. What a scandal this is going to be. Betrothal and marriage was much stronger than what we call engagement in our Western world. It's a legally binding contract. When they got betrothed, it was signed by witnesses... Therefore, even though they're only engaged in our terms, it can only be broken by a writ of divorce. If the husband were to die during this engagement period, the engaged woman would be considered a widow. But the difference is the couple will not sleep together as man and wife during their betrothal until the wedding night when the bride ritually went from her parents' home to her husband's home. And so until that time, and through this betrothal period, as couples, they are chaperoned wherever they go. They don't have a moment to themselves, to each other. They don't talk privately. There's always other people beside them chaperoning them. So what happens when a, girl, a woman who is betrothed becomes pregnant? What happens if there is adultery? Because it's as if they are already married, even though the marriage has not happened yet. The Old Testament law demands stoning. Deuteronomy 22, verse 22. Chapter 22, verse 22. If a man happens to meet in a town, a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The girl, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil from among you. We read about one rabbi who says that he had heard from his grandfather's generation about one priest's daughter who was executed for adultery. But this example is almost unique. The death penalty 
proscribed in Deuteronomy seems to be rarely enforced throughout Israel's history, but particularly in this period. Instead, divorce was the practice of dealing with adultery. It was a matter of great shame and reproach for a girl to be discovered pregnant outside of marriage. People would shun you for the rest of your life. So Joseph discovers, I think, privately that Mary is pregnant. Why do I think privately? Because he hopes to divorce her privately before it becomes public. So I think privately he's discovered, did she come to him and say, look, I'm carrying a child, you've got to know this. Or did Mary's mom, who discovered um, her pregnancy, come to Joseph and say to him, look, Mary's pregnant. She says it's from God, but we don't believe her. I don't know. It's a crushing blow to Joseph. He's never been with Mary. He's hardly had a chance really to talk to her in the culture of the day. But it seems that someone else has. Her bride, his bride-to-be is pregnant, and it's not his child. And so in every moral, emotional, and legal way, he has the right to plan to end this betrothal by divorce. And then you start to see a bit of Joseph's wonderful character. Because Joseph, verse 19, her husband was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph is a righteous man. He is, when you're reading Matthew's gospel, here is your first example of righteousness in the whole of the gospel. Righteousness is faithfulness to God and his ways. Someone who is so committed that doesn't matter what the implications are, they will follow God's ways and they'll do with it with a, a, a loving heart. Jo- Joseph is a man who wants to honor God. So here's his dilemma as a righteous man. If he marries her, the disgrace will come to him also. Because he'll be implicated in her pregnancy. And even if he marries her immediately, people aren't stupid. People do their arithmetic. Married on January the 4th, first child, May the 5th. So he has to divorce Mary. But he knows that Mary's life will be ruined. She will be cut off from her family to some degree. She'll be socially marginalized. She's going to be disgraced in the eyes of the community. This is what could have happened. He could have had a public divorce in court. That court could be in a synagogue setting or before the elders of the gate. That would make it possible for him to keep her dowry because any money her father had been given her to bring into the marriage, he could keep because he is the one that's been wronged. If any bride price yet to the father-in-law he is paid, he could get back because he's the one that's been wrong. He could get revenge for his shame that she has brought upon him as the betrothed husband-to-be. And he could make his innocence clear by repudiating her pregnancy. So a public court would vindicate him and his righteousness. But this is what he decides to do. He does not want to expose her to public disgrace. And so, because he is even more righteous, he plans to divorce her quietly. And so, a private divorce would be in front of two or three witnesses. He would produce a writ of divorce. 
It would spare her public shame before all the elders at the gates uh, publicly. Uh, He wouldn't get economic advantage from it. There would be no money exchanged because they're trying to keep it as quiet as possible. He wouldn't get public recognition of his innocence. But he could spare her some shame from the community that they are part of. And so Joseph is righteous here because of his compassion upon Mary and her situation. Even though he would look unrighteous in the eyes of the village gossip mongers who would say for the rest of his life to people, well, I'm sure you know their story. Knowing well that they didn't, well, let me tell you about it. And they just keep the scandal and the rumor alive for the rest of their lives. He is prepared for that by offering, because of his compassion of Mary, to have a private divorce, not a public one. And so most of the community will never really know. Even though he is someone that has been wronged, he does not want to hurt her anymore. So then you come to verse 20. But after he had considered this, after he had worked it all out, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Faith doesn't fit the world's views. Joseph goes to sleep. He has a dream. An angel comes to him in his dream and he wakens up a very different man. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. He took her despite all the social implications of their marriage. He has the courage to face the hostility that will follow him the rest of his life because she is pregnant and people will work it out. He has the courage to be righteous in a hostile world that will look at him for the rest of his life as unrighteous. And what Joseph faces here in taking Mary as his wife, even though she is pregnant, and with all the social implications of the gossip of the town, everything that will go with that, is the experience of every Christian as a follower of Jesus. Because if you say to the world out there, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father. Jesus Christ is the only one who can forgive your sins. He is the only one who brings God's love and peace and hope to your life. He is the only one who you can find eternal life. The world out there says, you must be pretty arrogant to think that you alone have the truth. The world says, if there's a God, the only people who will find God will be very good people. And you Christians say, you know God and you're going to heaven. That must mean you think you're better than the rest of us. And you say, no, we don't think we're better than the rest of you. We, we think we're sinners just like everybody else. But it doesn't fit the world's grid. No matter what you say, no matter how you try and explain it, you're going to sound arrogant, judgmental, and unloving. No matter what you say, the world will say, give me a break. You're deluded. No matter what Mary says, the people are going to say, you're out of your mind. God 
It's Holy Spirit made you have that baby. Yeah. No matter how Joseph explains it, they're going to say, you say you didn't get her pregnant. Yeah. Joseph and Mary's righteousness will never be fully revealed until Jesus begins his ministry, until he dies on a cross and rises again, until he is taken to heaven. And then people will say, this man was the son of God. He is. Emmanuel, God is with us. Not just uh, God's working through him, but this man is divine. But most of the world will not know that. And so Joseph will face the world's hostility and Mary for most of their lives. Because people will never understand the truth about how Jesus really came. And we cannot receive Christ into our lives unless we're willing to accept to some degree that the world will continually misunderstand us because we follow King Jesus. The angel comes to Mary, comes to Joseph. Do not be afraid to take Mary. You're afraid of the hostility and the misunderstanding and the scandal. Don't be afraid, Joseph. Have the courage to face the hostility, and he takes her as his wife. Face the world's hostility. The next two points are a little bit, quite, quite a bit shorter. Secondly, accept the courage to accept Jesus' kingship. Verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, you will get, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. So here's one of the most striking things about what the angel is saying to Joseph. Don't you name him. I'm telling you what you are to name him. You will name him Jesus. But you don't have the opportunity to name him. Parents have the right to name their children. In the ancient Near East, naming was not labeling. Naming was a sign of superiority and authority over that child. I named this child John. I have the power to do that, Zechariah, the priest says. You have the authority, authority to name something. You own something under your management. If you invent something, you will give it a name. If you start a company, you will give it a name. If you have a child, you will give that child a name because the child is under your authority, under your management. But the angel says to Joseph, if you want to receive, Joseph, this child into your life, the child does not come under your management. You will come under his. You may not name him. He will be naming you. And that is why Matthew then goes on to say, this happened to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This one will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the theme of God with us will be all the way through Matthew's gospel until the very last chapter when Jesus says, and I will be with you till the very end of the age. Because I am God with you to the very end of the age. He names us because he is the Messiah King with all the authority that comes from who he is and the recognition that if he's the King, then we are his servants. We do not name him. He names us. He has authority over us.
People are scared to come to Christ for several reasons. And one of them is just this. They don't want to be named by him. They don't want him telling them how to live their lives. They don't want his authority over them. They want this bit of him, but they like. But this here, ah, the church has got to get to, 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 up to the modern world again. Uh, this is, society's moved on. Uh, the implications of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, they, they face the questions, will I be able to do this? Yes or no? Can I, can I live this way? Can I do that? Can I believe this? Jesus Christ comes in and says as our king, you've no idea what I'm going to ask you to do as your king. The point is that you have to say to me, whatever you tell me to do, since you are a king, I will do. Unless you say to him, that he is your king, he doesn't come into your life at all. Because he can't be a king if you're setting down the reasons of where he can be a king and where he can't. He's not a king then. Joseph has the courage to accept this baby's kingship over him by giving the name that he has been told to give him. He has no idea what is ahead but he submits his life to the way that God is ordering history. And that takes courage. He has the courage to face the world's hostility. He has the courage to face the kingship of this child over him by the fact that he is not allowed to name it. He is told by the angel the name that he is to give Jesus. Thirdly, the courage to admit his sinfulness. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. There are a lot of people in churches all over the world today, just like we are. Same building, same worship, same hymns, reading the same Bibles, praying to the same God. But there are religious people and there are people whose hearts have been captivated by the gospel. And the religious people all right, for what God can give to them. And so they look on God as the, the heavenly grandfather in the sky who, who gives sweets, who never, who's not judgmental, who doesn't tell, oh, don't be too hard on them. And that's the kind of God that they want. They want a God they can ma manipulate and bargain with. Lord, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you, which is actually the heart of pagan worship. Pagan worship is all about keeping the gods happy. And they bring that pagan point of view into Christianity. But that's not the gospel. That's religion. And for religious people, Jesus is not their king who they submit to. And he's not their savior because they refused to recognize that they are in an estranged relationship with the king of the universe, that they are in this category of being sinners. The word sin in the New Testament just may, simply means a failure to keep God's standards. Here are God's standards we can't keep them, and that distance is called sin. But it's also about the guilt that we have because we cannot keep them. And so sin is not just our failure, but the guilt that comes into our hearts because of our failure. Jesus has come to be our saviour, to deal with our failure and to deal with our guilt as well. So you can't be a Christian if you only say, Lord, come into my life and help me with this. Or be with this person. Lord, help me here. 
You have to have the courage to admit that God owes you nothing so you can't bargain with him. Because you have no power to bargain with him. He owes you nothing. That you're a helpless sinner who cannot save yourself. That you cannot live the life you should because you cannot live up to God's standards. And the greatest courage of all is to admit, I'm helpless. I need a savior. That I need to be rescued. I don't need a God to help me. I don't need a God to give me a helping hand to get promotion or, or for my health or whatever. Something more deeply, I need rescued because I need a savior because I'm a sinner. And that takes real courage because you are admitting your utter spiritual poverty. I have nowhere else to turn. For those of us who are privileged to have the men's meal there on Friday night, we heard from the Reverend John. And in different ways of his story, coming to that point when the police arrested him, a number of 12 others, um, for terrorist offenses, and he finds himself in prison, and the charge sheet is brought before him, and he reads the charge sheet, and he realizes that he is in trouble. On that first night in prison, getting down on his knees and asking God to come back into his life, that the faith of his parents and church that he had been brought up with came back to him. And from that first night in prison, he commits his life to following Jesus. He challenged our lives in different other ways as well, but spiritual poverty, when you have nowhere else to turn, Jesus has come because no matter how hard you try, you'll never reach that standard. That's what the Ten Commandments are about. We need grace. We need a God to save us. We need a God to come and live our life to its, in obedience to its fullness. And that's why faith in Jesus is faith in the one who before God has lived the life that we cannot live. Religious people Say, Lord, look at me. Look what I've done for you. You owe me. I deserve better. Jesus' people just look to Jesus because he will save his people. He will save his people from their sins. Christian faith doesn't fit the world's views. It never has. It never will. Joseph went to sleep. An angel has to come because what is happening here, he doesn't believe. And he wakes up a different man and he takes pregnant Mary as his wife. And he has the courage to be righteous in a hostile world. The courage to face hostility and its misunderstandings for the rest of his life. The courage to accept Jesus' lordship. The courage to admit his sinfulness that the Savior has come. What is courage? Courage isn't strength. Courage is willingness to be weak. Willingness to be vulnerable, willingness to be broken for the sake of the king that you serve. If you look at Jesus coming to lose his life for you, you will face all these things. But you're never, you're never giving up your life because Jesus will come back and give you so much more than you have ever lost. Miles he lays his glory by. 
mild means it wasn't forced, it wasn't coerced, voluntarily. He lays his glory by to come into this world to be our rescuer, our savior, our king, our redeemer. He does it because he cares for us. Because we are sinners. We can't bridge the standards. We're a failure and we feel so guilty because we keep trying to be a better person. Stop trying to be a better person. Look to Jesus. And through faith in him as Savior and Lord, you receive your identity as God's child. The angel says to Joseph and Mary, and look, do not be afraid. He's a savior. You don't have to be. Do you have the courage to follow him and to trust him? Do you have the courage to be a person of the gospel, to renounce religious ways, and to live in the grace of his coming and the hope of what he means to everyone here? Let us pray. Our Father, help us to get the courage we need to follow Jesus with everything within us, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We ask that you would help us to have Jesus more deeply in our lives as we become more vulnerable and breakable, more weak and more broken. Because through that, we realize that we need you by your grace. Vulnerable enough to confess all our sins. Vulnerable enough to give you the lordship that you demand of us in a new way. And even to accept any shame the world and misunderstanding the world will throw at us for the sake of the incredible honor that you are to us as being our Father God in heaven and the hope and the blessings of a new world is coming in that faith lord we commit our lives to you today in jesus name amen